welcome to All Things Green. I'm Anton, here with my co-host Shelby, to discuss a variety of topics from across the sustainability universe. Shelby, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yes, I am. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I just wanted to talk a tiny bit about Pride because we're doing a whole Pride-themed episode. So Pride is in honor of the 1969 Stonewall Riots in New York City, yeah. and it was a tipping point for LGBTQ rights in the U.S., uh, and now we celebrate it every June as a way to express ourselves and celebrate love in all of its forms and celebrate being able to honor our own identities. So in Cleveland, we've got Pride in the Clee, which is an awesome event early in June where organizations from all across Northeast Ohio come together to celebrate LGBTQ uh, rights and love and everything that's good. Yeah. Uh, and it's super fun. And while we have a lot to celebrate, I also want to point out that it is a really tough time to be in the LGBTQ community right now. And yeah. we'll talk about that intersection today of all the things we have to celebrate and things we want to be mindful of. Actually, for the first time, Human Rights Watch has declared a state of emergency for LGBTQ community in the U.S. And that's because there's been a torrent of legislature that is trying to push back on LGBTQ rights. Mm -hmm. And so I just want us to be mindful of that as we go into this really celebratory episode uh, to also be mindful of why we're going to talk about the intersection with climate change, because we might not often think about uh, sustainability and the LGBTQ community as two things that intersect, but just like everything else, they really do. Yeah, 100%. Thanks for kicking us off with that intro. Absolutely. Let's get into our first segment. I'm excited. So Grist wrote an article recently about some queer scientists who are one to tell people that nature is gay sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, the two main talking points in this article is talking about the uh, gender binary. Mm -hmm. Things are just male or just female. We know that there's more than we know that there's more than that, right? Yeah. Uh, the other point is going to be talking about heterosexuality in nature mm -hmm. and how actually nature is gay. Like there's like some like homosexuality in nature also. Yeah. So animals, they're just like us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So let's get right into it. So yeah, I'm excited. I think the first cool thing about the uh, gender binary, um, a lot of the people who are talking about trans people not being valid men mm -hmm. or women or non-binary people. Mm -hmm. um, we see that in nature, animals actually switch their sex all the time. Yeah. So one example is the clownfish. I've actually heard this a little bit, like people talking about Nemo. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about this, but like... No, wait, tell me the overlap with Nemo. So like, okay, so Nemo's a, a clownfish. <laughs> for finding Nemo for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the dad's also a clownfish. Mm -hmm. And like people are like... Actually, when the uh, the male would actually transition to, like, the female, um, sometimes for the purpose of reproduction. Oh, yeah. so Nemo's dad could also be... A mom. A I mom. mean, that's just, that's just right. like, what people say, you know? Sure. Like, but science would actually tell you, yeah. Yeah. For real. So pawpaw trees, they actually also change their gender uh, during the summertime, sometimes during, like, reproduction. So instead of being pawpaws, they become mamas. Oh, that's too easy yeah. of a joke. Yeah. I knew that you'd bring pawpaws into this. Yeah. I didn't actually know that they could do that, but I knew you'd bring them up somehow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but basically, whether or not people think that trans people are valid, that's kind of stupid. Like, trans people are valid. Mm -hmm. And even if this wasn't seen in nature, which it is, mm -hmm. like, people's experiences are totally valid. 
Yeah, those are lived experiences. And so we should trust people based on what they tell us their lived experiences are. But this also further backs up that it's existed for a long time across nature. This is not a new thing, as we often see accused. Oh my gosh, well, everybody wants to be trans now. No, it's really hard to be trans in America, actually. People just are trans in the same way. Well, I wouldn't say the same way, but we can see it in nature, too, that other uh, species are able to and do often shift their gender fluid. Yeah, exactly. And also moving on to, like, heterosexuality. People Mm -hmm. are, people have this idea. This is something that my parents would would like say like yep. you know like it's a man and a woman because you're supposed to procreate and that's it right absolutely that's what that's what we hear that's what we hear right actually homosexuality can be found in 1500 species including animals like dolphins rams giraffes penguins and some lizards that's awesome so yeah it reminds me of that episode of parks and rec where two penguins get married yeah it's a whole thing <laughs> i remember that one yeah leslie no Good, yeah. good lady. Just the fact that we see like this across nature like so much. Um, again, it goes to show like there's no reason that people should be hating on gay people for their choices to or their their uh, their truth. Their <laughs> truth. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we're not trying to say like okay, now we think it's real because we can see it in clownfish or we can see it in giraffes. We're not looking to nature to validate someone else's lived experience. But I think you're giving us some evidence of the fact that it goes well beyond humanity, that the binary of of sex and gender is not seen in the animal kingdom, uh, or at least not strictly across the animal kingdom, and neither is the binary of like straight versus gay. You you have animals and other species that that show that homosexuality exists, um, and it's it's nothing to be afraid of. I hate that term homophobia because I don't think anybody's actually afraid of anything. I think it's just hatred. Yeah, it's just hatred. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Do you want a bonus of this segment? Yes, 100%. I love a bonus. Okay, I didn't put this in the show notes, but Grist, the uh, uh, the article from Grist, it actually also mentioned, like, petromasculinity. And if you kind of put this together, it's, like, guys that basically, like, love their big trucks and like, <laughs> burning oil and stuff. And, like, yeah. they're, like, so, like, hyped up about, like, destroying the environment or something. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I, <laughs> I heard that sometimes... Uh, Folks from like the anti-climate movement uh, who drive those big trucks will put like chemicals so that it looks like more smoke is coming out. Are you um, so yeah, like almost looks like your truck is broken, but it's this like big middle finger to the environmental movement. I also drove by one of those trucks on like those huge risers, like those enormous tires where the tire had totally just come off the other day. I can't judge that person's experience, but if we're talking about petromasculinity, I felt it a little bit as I drove by and then went. <laughs> Yeah. He was fine. Otherwise, I wouldn't have laughed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I have for my first topic, Shelby. Awesome. Uh, give me give me what you got on the second topic. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about inclusivity within our what we're talking about all the time, which is sort of the sustainability movement and environmentalism. When you think about who you normally see on documentaries, shows, advertisements from companies that are about the outdoors, like who's the person that you think gets the most representation? Oh, it's like the the tall, skinny white guy in the Patagonia jacket? A hundred percent. There's nothing <laughs> nothing wrong with that guy, but it's kind of the same guy over and over and over again. 
And so there are a lot of folks in the LGBTQ community who haven't necessarily felt very included mm. in this movement. A lot of people have carved out their own spaces and created their own communities, uh, but there's been this larger movement to try to be more inclusive. And one example of that is that Audubon, which I'm sure you love as yeah. a birder, uh, is an organization that is really trying to create spaces, including their LGBT initiative, which of course, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, but also let's go birding together. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So it started in 2016 as an effort to be more inclusive in the birding community, to create spaces that were really intentional. And also I love this because birding is sort of this like low barrier to entry way to get outside. So the the initiative started in 2016, but last year they partnered with one of my favorite influencers, Patagonia. Mm. Like Patagonia, but actually she's this fantastic drag queen. I love that. That's awesome. And she is all about being outside, being outdoors, and protecting the environment. So the Let's Go Birding Together initiative partnered with Patagonia in 2022 to bring a message of hope for the future of the planet through the lens of, I think the meadow lark is sort of the, yeah. the bird species that they were following and made this whole documentary about. And so Patagonia became this partner in the LGBT Let's Go Birding Together space. Um, I wanted to talk about why representation matters. Yeah. We see this outside of just the LGBTQ community. We see this when we talk about racial justice as well. Uh, essentially, when you're growing up, if you are looking at a space that you're interested in being a part of, but nobody looks like you in that space, they're not speaking your language, whether that's literal or figurative or dressing the way that you might dress or even just having shared experiences, you might not feel welcome there. Uh, whether that's real or perceived depends on the person in the group, but I know, for example, growing up as a woman, looking at all of our line of presidents and thinking yeah. those are all men, it didn't really seem like something that was achievable for me. And that's mm -hmm. being a little dramatic in comparison to a birding community because ultimately it would be really hard for me to be president, not just because I'm a woman, but because it's the top job in the US. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons that I might not be president, but you know, I couldn't see myself in that. Sure. And the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community also didn't always see themselves in the sort of outdoorsy community or in the environmental movement. We weren't talking about the overlap. And I know we're going to talk about that intersection in your last segment. So I love that an organization like Audubon is thinking about that and really trying to create spaces that make it feel like everyone is welcome. And birding in particular, I'm, I'm sure you noticed in 2020 that birding sort of picked up in popularity. 100%. Yeah. You, you'd been a birder for a long time, right? Actually, I started in the pandemic. In the pandemic. Yeah. So tell me about that. Like what, what made you feel like that was something that you wanted to get into? Yeah. Like uh, my, my grandma actually was a birder for a very long time. And so uh, with COVID, there was nothing to do. And I was just like, I want to get out more. And then you start hearing all these bird calls and stuff and you see things flying around. So I got into it that way. Exactly. It's this outdoor activity that you can do. Being outdoors is great for our mental health. Yeah. Uh, it also helps us appreciate the nature around us. You don't have to be um, a mountain climber that's to right. do birding. And you yeah. can do it in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so I love that that's an initiative. I mean, Audubon is about birds. 
but still to take something that has this low barrier to entry and introduce that as a way to create inclusive outdoor spaces, I think is great. Um, but I also want to talk a little bit about how uh, we see pushback against movements like this and why it's important that we keep celebrating uh, inclusivity because there are real people in Congress who hate this. Yeah. Um, so the same influencer, drag queen Patagonia that we talked about, also partnered with the North Face to do an ad talking about come out in nature, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. And yeah. it was just this celebratory, prideful ad with a company that wanted to feature a popular influencer. But because Patagonia is a drag queen and she dresses uh, flamboyantly and, ex and with a true expression of herself, um, people you would expect from Congress, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, uh, used a lot of really terrible terms to describe Patagonia that I won't repeat here. If you're interested, you can Google it, but I don't want to use terms like that. Um, and then accused her of destroying womanhood uh, just for being herself. I'm a woman, and I got to say, I'm cool with Patagonia uh, representing herself however she wants to. They actually called for a boycott of the North Face because they chose to partner with oh Patagonia. Oh gosh, that's so wild. Yeah. There are a lot of connections between the anti-climate science that we talk about pretty much daily and L anti-LGBTQ sentiment. They both come from the same side of the aisle. They both come from this place of, like, fear of change and... Uh, like sort of protection of what someone thinks of as yeah. uh, the America they know. And so I think if we're going to be for the environment, we should also recognize that the same people who are going to do harm to the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community are the ones doing harm to the environment. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap there. 100%. Well, I want to go back to celebrating, um, <laughs> but I think we're actually kind of going to end on a sad note, uh, but we'll, we'll bring it around. Uh, It'll be a thoughtful <laughs> send-off. Thoughtful send-off. So yeah, take, take it away, Anton. Okay, sure. So um, another article that I came across was actually from the Yale School of Environment. Mm -hmm. uh, the environmental justice concerns, uh, we've talked about it in the sense of like poor people, people mm -hmm. of color. Uh, much to my surprise, actually, uh, people in the LGBTQ community also disproportionately face environmental justice. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And uh, it's it's kind of uh, frustrating to, to see that. It's a little bit harder to maybe uh, find out why this is happening with some of the... Uh, we don't really have all the data on like sexual orientation and uh, people's gender identity and things yes. like that. So this is something that... I'm hoping that we could tackle in today's segment. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we don't have those data because so much of the data that we gather come from like the census and right. we don't ask those kinds of questions. I know that we struggle with that in my work in public health is trying to identify those differences. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, kind of calling on the need for like agencies to start thinking proactively about like how can we also protect people in the LGBTQ community? Uh, it, this article talks about that they're more susceptible to respiratory diseases, cardiovascular diseases, and cancer. Um, I thought that was just really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like all of all three of those categories are higher than any um, cisgender uh, heterosexual population. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I know that you said we don't have all the data, and I'm sure this is really complicated, but I can imagine that it comes from all sorts of 
different associations with discrimination. So you think about trans youth that are kicked out of their homes or, you know, gay youth that are facing discrimination in the workplace. Uh, And that kind of trickles through a life of uh, more association with being low income. We see associations between being low income and living in areas that have worse environmental health outcomes. So all of this sadly makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And so how can our agencies, you know, be more proactive about being able to maybe not necessarily collect this data, uh, but be mindful of it. Be mindful of protecting the LGBTQ community Yeah. in uh, when they permit these bad facilities, like anything from pyrolysis to coal to fracking. We've talked a little bit about this in our uh, environmental, uh, intersectional environmentalism segment. Yeah. And um, in a lot of the ways that we see that environmentalism is also like a race issue. Yes. Um, it's also uh, a gay issue as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, you know, you talked a little bit about collecting data and saying, like, how do we be more thoughtful about this? Sometimes I think it is collecting data. Um, I'm not saying every survey should have to ask me my gender identity or my sexual orientation. Sometimes that can feel like it's putting someone in an unsafe position to disclose those kinds of details. Yeah. But if we don't have data, we also can't disaggregate. So where we are collecting data, sometimes it is relevant. And I know when I lived in Austin, there was a community needs assessment for the LGBTQ community. Um, Actually, specifically, it was for the older adult LGBTQ community because I sat on this um, like coalition for older adults. That's cool. And it was fascinating to see the kinds of things they uncovered as specific needs for that community. Uh, and I wonder if we could do something similar, uh, looking at all sorts of needs, but particularly environmental health needs. Yeah, absolutely. So we also want to lift up our environmental activists that are in the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. um, students, organizers, people like that. The, the person that was mentioned here in the article in the uh, Yale Environmental School of Law uh, was Leo Goldsmith. He's a la- member of the Latinx community who also identifies as queer and transgender. Um, he, he chaired the Environmental Justice Organization at Yale. I love and that. Uh, during his time at the organ- as the chair of the organization, um, he actually organized an event in 2019, the queer and present danger in the context <laughs> of climate change. So like, I think that's so cool. Like, yeah. I would really encourage like, young people and college students to like, try and organize something like that. Because, like, you know, sometimes with, like, crazy things happening, like these bills passing and, like, state legislatures, it could be so daunting. But, like, the fact that we have our own agency and the ability to change minds and have dialogue is much more important than real people realize. Like, as a Gen Zer, like, I think it could be really difficult to get, like, bogged down with cynicism and all that. But props to Leo Goldsmith for uh, putting that event on. I love seeing young organizers. We've talked yeah. about it before. Uh, so really grateful for folks like Leo who are doing the hard work and yeah. making sure that these issues are brought to the forefront and with clever names, queer and present danger. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, pretty pretty <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much for talking all things green with me today, Shelby. Can you let our viewers know how they can keep in touch with us? Absolutely, I can. If you'd like to stay connected to us, please be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at One Planet Media. That's O-N-E-1. And if you'd like to rewatch full episodes, check out our YouTube channel, All Things Green Show. You can find all of our sources from today's episodes in our show notes. We'll be back at the same time next week to bring you more news. 
Thank you so much for being a part of the global sustainability movement. Thank you.